Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, I just, that was a good video. Um, we are doing a panel session today. And um, up here, we have a three professionals who work within the mental health field. And we feel like, um, as a church, it was important not just to hear from the pastor on this, but to also hear from professionals um, who work in the field and, and may have some things to add. And so I'm going to introduce them. My name is Joy Bay. I always have, I'd always get to introduce myself. <laughs> um, and um, right next to me, we have Jessalyn. Uh, she's been, she has 12 years of experience working in a clinical setting. Um, she's currently, um, ha or has worked with um, K to 12 in various school-based therapies. Um, so that's children's teen, and um, she's also worked with young adults. And um, she, we have a congratulations because she won uh, NC's Social Work of the Year, right? Or Social Worker of the Year. <laughs> um, and so she's trained in various type of therapies, um, and that's what she's coming with. And then next, as I told Raph, we go, we went women first today. Uh, <laughs> and so we have Johanna, who graduated from Oral Roberts. Um, she has an MA in counseling and has been practicing for about 12 years, too, working with individuals and um, with a wide variety of issues um, from chemical dependencies um, and mental health struggles. And then last but not least at all, we have Mr. Raphael, go by Raph. Um, he is a licensed uh, master's of social worker. Um, he has 15 years of experience. Um, he's been practicing inpatient and outpatient, um, working with mental health um, and as well as uh, medical social work. And so he, right now he currently is work, uh, specializes in crisis intervention and stabilization, working with people of all ages. So that's who we have on our panel today. So we're going to get into some questions. So, um, uh, Johanna, we're going to start with you. Yeah. During, so, oh, go ahead. Look at me cutting you off already. <laughs> she ready. She ready for me to come. <laughs> All right. What signs and symptoms um, should we look for when making a decision for therapy? Yeah, so this question is heavy, and so we started off the, the 9 a.m. service by answering it. And so I said to Joy, are you sure we want to start the second 11 a.m. service on this one? But it was agreed that it, it kind of helped to set the tone. So this um, list that I'm going to provide for you, signs and symptoms, is by no means um, all-inclusive. It's just kind of a snapshot of what we as practitioners look for. And so if, if in me going through this, you can answer yes to some of these things, to, if you answer yes to more than one or all of these, you're like, yes, that is me, then we're going to urge you to talk to someone, talk to someone on this panel, talk to Joy, and we'll certainly um, set you up with some resources. So the first thing that I wanted to address is if someone is lacking motivation or things that they normally were interested in, they are no longer interested in, so activities, hobbies, recreations, um, that can be a sign of clinical depression. If daily living skills feel laborious and feel very um, almost burdensome and unmanageable, and that could be brushing my teeth, taking a shower, engaging in daily hygiene, um, cleaning up and tidying the house, going to work, everyday activities that I normally um, 
has come easily to me is now burdensome, that could be a sign of clinical depression or anxiety. Um, also, if there is significant change in sleep, and so I want to emphasize because I didn't do a good job in the first service. So something that is not part of your normal pattern. Um, so if I am oversleeping, if I am staying in bed all day because the idea of getting out of bed just seems like so much, or if I'm not getting enough sleep, so I'm staying up all night thinking about restless thoughts, anxious thoughts, things that are keeping me up and, and I just can't shut it off, that could be a sign of anxiety. Um, a change in your eating pattern. So if I'm over-consuming food, binge eating, or if I'm not eating enough, that could also be a sign of, of depression or anxiety. Um, the final two are kind of heavy, and so the first one that I wanted to address is isolation. So oftentimes um, people will say, I just feel like no one gets it. I don't think anyone understands. No one can understand what we're going through. And so part of us is, is taking the stigma away from that because there are a lot of people that feel that way. But something to look for is if normally you would answer a text message or pick up the phone, and that just seems like too much. I don't want to be a burden to others, and I don't want others to feel like I'm a burden. Um, that could be a sign of, of anxiety and depression. Um, and finally, and, and we don't want anyone to get to this place, but this is a real place, um, is feeling hopelessness and feeling despair. If that is something that, that speaks true to you in this moment, we are going to urge you to, to talk to one of us, talk to Joy. We have resources. I believe that they're behind me right now. Um, and we want to connect you to them because you're not in this alone. Not because we have all the answers, because unequivocally, 100% we do not. But we have a God that does. And, and that's where we put our hope and trust in. But he also connects us to resources. And so I did want to emphasize that. And I know it's on the heavy side, but we want to set the tone for just an openness and an eagerness to hear, okay, what can we do to, to get help? Yeah, thank you. Um, Raph, like as you've listened to the series and heard different things, what is something that like meant the most to you and something that you would like to kind of add on as a professional? Well, I'd like to just say in general that the series in itself, just having this as an opportunity has been tremendous. I think, you know, for me, going to church for many years, this has always kind of been a taboo subject for a lot of people, um, whether they don't know how to answer it, grandmoms and uncles and pastors sometimes don't know what to say to you to make you understand or um, sometimes the feelings and thoughts we have are contrary to maybe what we've read in scripture, what we've heard or understand it. We just can't reconcile those two things. But just that this is a topic that has been brought up, that this is something that we're comfortable enough talking about in church, although it's very uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and that is something that's being brought to the surface as being relevant, and that this is being an additional safe space for people. Um, just that all of in itself. Um, on top of that is just like hearing the stories of, you know, David has been very transparent and I've shared and people have shared like just to know that people are, have shared experiences that we can lean into each other and lean on each other in different times. And, and again, you're not alone um, in this, you know, you feel like, you know, no one's been through what I've been through and everybody's situation and circumstances are very different, right? Um, but still, there's still a, a certain level of commonality, and I love that that has been a part of the series, is that it's been very transparent and has been opening up for people to feel like they can talk about this. This is not just like, I'll go to therapy on Thursday, but on Sunday, I got to do something different. You know, like, no, so it's just all-encompassing. That's been a beautiful thing. And if I can just add, too, I think another thing that's been really helpful is just, um, I know we're breaking that stigma about mental health, but also the guilt that comes with the anxiety, especially when it comes to um, our religion, our faith, 
Um, I think that that sometimes has been something that has lingered for a lot of people, that they feel guilty that they're not praying enough, that they're not leaning on um, God enough, not reading the Bible enough. And so I think the more that we can kind of normalize that you can have that anxiety and still have really strong faith, you know, I think has been a really big one for me. And, and, you know, I wanted to um, perhaps piggyback on that is the other thing, you know, last week David talked about the three P's and we joke a little bit, but, you know, people, prayer and pills. I don't love the pills word, but medication is what I prefer. But it's all, you know, I, I like the high tabs and all that. But um, that's another thing too, bringing it, him bringing it up and people bringing it up. I think that there's a lot of stigma in society in general. And if we're being transparent, there's a lot of stigma to that within the, within the church. Um, you know, and I use uh, the analogy before, like when I work with clients, people are like, you know, if you broke your arm, would you say, oh, I'm just going to pray about it and the thing will be okay and I'm not going to go to the hospital and do anything and, you know, God will put a prayer cast on it and it'll heal itself. No, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, so you're in pain, you're going to get relief, you're going to seek the interventions. Um, you know, or if you had diabetes and they said, hey, you had to take insulin, would you not take the insulin, you know, that's life-saving medication? Um, so I always, you know, that point that he talked about was like, you know, I think um, that nothing singularly is effective, that it takes a lot of different multifaceted, multi-level interventions, including sometimes medication, not all the time, but sometimes medication to be considered. I mean, that's being talked about too. And it's not just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or pray it, pray it out because prayer without action is nothing. Right. So, right. yeah. Um, Justin, so Johanna just read a list, right? Um, and, you know, maybe someone here was thinking like, man, that, that may be me or someone I know. So what is your best advice for someone who's, you know, married or walking with someone that they love that's suffering with depression or anxiety or even addiction? Yeah. So I think the biggest one um, is to just sit with that person in their struggle, I can't tell you how often that I'm talking to kids, teens, young adults, parents um, that have gone through a hard time, and you ask them, what's the one thing that you wish was different? And they always say that somebody was there with me, that they didn't leave me alone, that they sat there with me in the struggle. So I think just being with them in that um, and letting them know that they're not alone. Um, I think another one is asking them how they you can help them. I think so often there's this stigma that people that are anxious or have mental health needs don't know what they need. And I think sometimes they do, but they're scared to ask or they feel like they can't trust you enough to ask you because you haven't responded well in the past or things of that nature. And so I think asking them how you can help, what you can do. And sometimes that is just sitting with them and being with them. Sometimes it's going with them to a therapist appointment. Sometimes it's sitting with them and praying with them. Um, So I think just being real with them and asking them, what can I do to help you? Um, And then I think praying for them and praying with them, um, letting them know that that you care about them, letting them know that you're there for them and that you're going to continue to pray for them. Um, One verse I want to bring up that I wrote down, I wanted to mention, um, in Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is praying, that's the night before his death, and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And to me, in reading that verse, it, it kind of surprised me because I was like, well, we hear all the time that we know that God knows our struggles. Jesus knows our struggles and, you know, they know us inside and out. But then you think about like he felt that, too, you know, and so they know exactly what we're going through. And I think just leaning on our faith and praying, um, if you're the one struggling with that or praying for the person that's struggling, I think another one is to empathize. And really think about how much vulnerability it takes to be honest with somebody and tell them that you're struggling. 
Um, I think, you know, trusting other people and letting that guard down can be really hard, especially if people haven't responded how you've wanted them to in the past. Um, and then I think another one, following up, checking on them, making sure they know that you care, not just in that moment that you're struggling and then it's like, poof, you're gone. Um, making sure that you follow up with them and letting them know that you care even after that dark moment. Um, and then the last one, just encouraging them to get help. Um, I know that we have some resources here on the screen. Um, definitely, we have some flyers or papers over on the communion table too that you can take and use for yourself or for others. But I think just encouraging them to get the help that they deserve and the help that they need. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to, we didn't say this earlier, but I wanted to piggyback on that. And one of the, the don'ts, I think, that is to invalidate. Um, I know a lot of times when it comes to anxiety specifically, like, you know, I suffer anxiety. So I'm aware that my thoughts and feelings are irrational. Um, and so when, and so when, and I think it's always usually in good intention, like to help someone get your mind off of it, stop thinking about it, it's going to be okay. But when you invalidate that person, it makes them feel isolated and makes them feel crazier than they already feel. So, you know, you don't have to substantiate it, but don't invalidate that person's thoughts and those feelings. That's a good follow-up, and actually from first service, we kind of had a follow-up question that um, you kind of touched on, but they were like, how do you like lovingly nudge someone to like, hey, I, I think you might need more professional, like you've been walking with someone, and like, is there, I mean, I'm, it's not easy, but <laughs> is there like, you know, a couple of things that you can say, this is how we can lovingly encourage someone Oh. Um, is to the group, sorry. Okay. I was going to say, feel free to jump in. Um, I was just going to say, I think that that kind of goes with sitting with them in that struggle. So if you are coming to them, they're having a hard time, and immediately you're like, you need to see a therapist. I don't think that's always well taken. Um, so I think letting them know, like, I see that you're having a really hard time, and I want to be here for you but I want to be here for you in a way that I can, and there are some ways that I can't. So let's do this together. Let me be with you in that, and I'll go with you, I'll help you, um, and I'll help you through that process, but also knowing your own boundary, too, and what you can do and what's appropriate for you to do before referring out. I think being honest and transparent with a person that you love, um, you don't want to put anything else on them, but also, like, you know, um, just being honest and transparent, like, you know, like you said, you... I think you not have concerns about you. I think you should talk to someone and letting them know, you know, I'm here for you, but I'm only limited. I can, I don't know so much. I can only do so much, but I'm help you through that walk and support you. And also remember that, you know, Jesus turned the tables over in the temple. You know, he would, you know, so it's not always kindness. And sometimes it's like, Hey, you're not well, and I'm here for you, but you're, you're not well. And like, you can't always be like, Oh, you know, sometimes like stop what you're doing come over here, let's hug it out, let's cry it out, and let's figure out what our next yeah. steps are. So it's not always going to be warm and soft and fuzzy. Sometimes you got to, you know, get in there and be like, hey, um, and you and you kind of figure that out with the person that you're working with. Some people respond, yeah. you know, to nice softness, and some people are like, hey, you have come to know on now, you know, <laughs> like, so. You have to know your audience because being a New Yorker, um, it's easy for me to want to be like, all right, let's get it together. <laughs> and, and especially with family and friends, and, and you have to be able to say, will this person understand when I say that? Or do I need to have a more a softer approach mm -hmm. to be able to say right. the love, the kindness, and the grace? Because, the, like I said, knowing your audience is... Yes. 
there's that back and forth. And I think they'll know too, like what your intention is and where you're yeah. coming from. You know, that's where that empathy is so important. Trying to kind of think about, okay, if this was me, how would I want somebody to approach this with me too? could be helpful, but just them knowing your intention and yeah. why, and because I care about you, because I love you, because I'm here with you in this journey, I think can make a difference too. Um, so Johanna, um, what would you tell someone who's like, okay, they're thinking like, I think I'm maybe on a fence um, about, you know, getting help. Like what, you know, even maybe talk about some of the misinformation that's out there. Yeah. So getting help is not easy. Um, we've talked a lot about the stigma associated with it. Um, but I think there's also something about fear. Fear cripples us. Fear keeps us captive. And so when we are, there's the fear of the unknown, there's also fear of change of, is the therapist gonna bring out some things and cause me to feel uncomfortable or, or challenge my, my negative cycles and patterns that have held me in this place for years and years. And so we know that Christ came to set the captives free, right? And so part of it is, is being able to bravely embrace that um, as uncomfortable as it might be. Um, the other fear that I like to ask is it fear of disappointment. So fear that if I actually go to the therapy session and the therapist just isn't the right fit for me, then, oh man, that's it, I'm done. And so like we had said earlier, right, if, if you go to one practitioner, um, let's say a doctor, and it's just not a good appointment, typically you don't write off the whole medical industry. You go and you find someone <laughs> else. <a> good point. <laughs> but I think with, with therapists is I, I met with one therapist, it wasn't my cup of tea, and so I'm done, that was it. And so I like to challenge that. I like to tell my clients or, or people in general, ask questions, ask lots of questions. It's okay to interview the therapist that you're considering. I have had clients come in and say, hey, tell me about your worldview, tell me about how long you've been in practice, tell me about, all the things except your social. And I'm like, okay, I will, I will answer all those things. Um, and it kind of helps their own anxiety to say, hey, this person is gonna collaborate with me. We're gonna work on treatment goals. We're gonna figure out some of these cycles that need to be broken. And, and we're gonna come up with a list of coping skills. And so there is a lot of misinformation because oftentimes clients will say, okay, I made the first step. I went in and I saw a counselor, but let's get this done in six sessions. And so, that also doesn't happen, it's a process. And, and it's a, sometimes it can be a long process, but it's an investment. Um, and so I, I never kind of want to twist anyone's arms to commit to a process, but there is hope. Um, I went through that long list, like I said, that was very heavy, but there's hope and there's, there's this belief that if I can start to apply the coping skills and the pain gets a little bit less, that the depression doesn't completely go away, but it gets more manageable. That my anxiety, I'm not free of it, but guess what, I can manage it and I can engage in my daily life skills. And so that's more or less the answer. Immediate gratification is not a part of the process. Yes, that's good. Um, you know, so, you, you know, I think that's something in our society that we are used to, you don't have a, you have a question, Google it. You did it, you know, we're so used to getting everything we, you know, and when you're in pain, physical pain or otherwise, you want to experience relief as soon as possible but you have to remember that immediate gratification is not a part of the process. Um, that anything worth having is worth putting the work in. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then also piggybacking on what you said as well is, um, when you go to a therapist or a psychologist or whoever the providers that you see, I often hear a lot of my clients, I didn't like that person, or I didn't, and maybe it's not a good fit for you, 
but you need to think about why it's not a good fit for you. Is it because the person's challenging you? Is it because they're asking you questions? Therapy can be very uncomfortable. If anyone's going to therapy thinking there's gonna be warm and warm cookies and that's not, you're, don't think about that. It's gonna be talking about things that you're not, you're often comfortable talking about with the people that you love the most. It's revealing secrets about your thinking and your habits and things that maybe you have no other outlet for. Things you've probably never told anyone else before. Things you've never even thought about before. You may get asked a question and you're like, wow, I never even put all that together. So it's meant to be uncomfortable. That's how you grow. We don't grow through comfort. You know, you have to go through the metamorphosis of all of these things and these feelings and thoughts and emotions. So when you go into therapy and you're like, well, I didn't like that person, or they asked me questions that made me uncomfortable, think a little bit re retrospectively before you decide to jump ship, because what's gonna likely happen is the next therapist you go to, you're not gonna like either, because that's what therapy is, right? <laughs> so just be conscious and cognizant of that. Yeah, that's a good ad. Um, so we have a little time left. Um, if you, Ralph, can share with us, like, what are, talking about the interventions, you know, we're talking about counseling, but just kind of briefly, you know, talking about like just other type of interventions and getting help. Yeah, so we talk about, sorry, we talk about therapy and counseling, um, you know, but there's also, depending on what's going on with you, there's different levels of intervention. So, you know, uh, we talk about medication. Medication is usually um, uh, an extender, meaning like once you've been physically cleared and once you are engaged in therapy, you may need to talk about medication options. Um, and that's a different intervention. There's different, also different things. You know, we talk about Western medicine. You talked to it. Most doctors and physicians are people that practice in this, in this part of the world. And sometimes they'll say, we've done all that we can do. You know, like, we don't know anything else. But you may want to try. And I say that because, you know, the God is the God of the, the world, right? Everything that we need, he has provided. It's here in nature. We just need to know how to tap into it. So, you know, maybe medication's not the answer, but maybe if you're having anxiety, maybe you find in some herbal tea that helps you with sleep and calmness. Maybe there's a diet change that you can make. Maybe there's something, you know, that a fruit from, from Fiji. Who knows? But, you know, um, be conscientious and careful of all these things, right? But also be open to these things like... Um, you know, there's so many different interventions and options that we have outside of just medication yeah. and outside of talk therapy, um, you know, but they are out there, but you have to be open to them. You have to ask questions, as Jenna said, and you also have to know that the first time you take something or do something, it may not give you the effect that you're looking for, and that doesn't mean that it's not right for you. It may mean that you may need to make an adjustment. Maybe it's the dosage. Maybe it's the type of medication. Maybe it's whatever it is. So don't immediately go, oh, I tried that and it didn't work, so that doesn't work for me, and just cut it all out. It's a process, remember, and it takes lots of steps. It takes a lot of trial and error, because this is part of life, and life takes a lot of trial and error. And so um, every intervention is not the best intervention for every person. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for touching it. Um, our last question is for Jesslyn. And, um, you know, we talked about, like, just how trauma, anxiety um, typically go hand in hand. And so um, can you speak a little bit on that, but really getting to the, um, the reaching up and the reaching out and how that looks? Um, so I've seen some common themes that um, are kind of present in anxiety and trauma. Um, a lot of times trauma can come out like anxiety too, right? So when somebody is triggered or um, something happens that kind of reminds them of those things, they may become really anxious or have what we talked about, that crippling anxiety. Um, so what, are, what some of those themes I've seen are this need for control, 
a lack of trust, struggle with vulnerability, fear of judgment. Um, those are some different things that are kind of there. And I, I pick those to talk about because I think it relates so much to our relationship with God too. Because I think sometimes when those are present, it's really hard for us to let go, right? To let that wall down, um, to really just trust that he's got us, right? And so um, I think that the thing that I tell a lot of my clients and tell myself in the mirror all the time um, is that we are never too broken. We are never too hurt for God. He wants us just how we are. He knows all of our flaws, um, every piece of our life. He is in it and he knows. And so I think the more that we can reach up and reach out um, and really lean on him, um, lean on our faith and pray and dig into the Bible and all of that, but also reaching out to our trusted people, people that we know are in this walk with us um, that are there for us, that again have that good intention, um, that can truly help us, so that we can get that that help that we want and that help that we deserve. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for sharing with us. Um, like we said, there are there is a uh, resources, a paper of resources on the table. We're going to call it Pastor David. Let's give a hand. Yeah. All right. Before before you go, let me let me give one finale question just because um, I think in talking with so many of you through this series there's this narrative that once you struggle you're kind of stuck with that forever so just with you know we've been talking about this for five Sundays you guys deal with these things Monday through so you have a lot more like you know 39 years of experience <laughs> is is there is there do you have and I'm not telling you to say anything that's not true, but do you see hope? Like, do you see people get better? Is that, is that, the, ex, is that the exception, or, or is that normal for you to see people get better in your daily work? Oh. <laughs> um, definitely so. I think definitely, um, I think Johanna mentioned it in the first service, like we would not do this if we didn't feel like that there was growth and progress for um, the people that we work with. But also, um, I think what we have to do is like learn our new normal. So our life may never be what it was before we had a mental health diagnosis. If it is new, if we have new anxiety or new trauma, it's ne- it may never be back to where it was before. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be great. It could be even better than it was before. And so I think just kind of learning our new normal and being okay with that, um, I think that's my thought on that too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, people do get better. Um, it's again it's not quick oftentimes it's not quick um it takes a desire to want to get better and it's not just a desire yourself it's a desire your support system it's a desire of everyone around you to want to do that it's acknowledgement that it's one day at a time one hour at a time sometimes um and that even when you feel like you're progressing you're going to have setbacks the best way i tell people to notice if you're getting better is to ask people that are around you you know, because you may still feel bad, but you may feel less bad today than you did the day before. And they can tell in your behaviors and your actions and your responses and how you're doing. And just, you know, I even pick on David, but, you know, there was a Sunday he came and I was like, your whole affect is different. Like, he just looked, he still wasn't feeling well, he told me, but I could tell that there was some improvement in him. So the people around you are your biggest um, advocates and their biggest people to monitor. And also, when you're going to therapy, we also often would like to talk to your collateral, your loved ones and the people around you. Because again, they're the ones that are tell us, you know, we see you once a week or however that goes. They're the ones that are gonna say, this is what's happening, yeah. this is not what's happening, this is what I've noticed, X, Y, Z. So really lean into them as well. 
I think also just trust the process and give yourself grace to know that, like we talked about, instant gratification is not a thing. I think give yourself time and the space to heal, but also know that it's not going to be instant, and that's okay. I guess that's the pressure that means I should go next, right? (laughs) No worries. But, you know, I'm going to go back to that verse that was quoted, right? Faith without works is dead. So this is a very action-oriented process. It's not about, I can talk with the therapist all day. We could talk about theories that work, um, systems that work, which is great. We want to do that. But you have to put in the work, right, outside of therapy. We'll talk with the collaterals all day. We'll talk with your family members, your loved ones, and say, how are they really doing? But if you're not putting in the the steps um, and and the changes that needed to be implemented, then then you stay stuck. And so it is really important to, to engage in those action steps. And we acknowledge that it's hard. It's hard to do those things. It's hard when you're feeling bad. It's hard to wake up sometimes and get dressed if you're depressed. Sometimes it's hard to do the thing that you know makes you anxious. Um, But you have to at least make the effort and try and do it. And a lot of times you break down those, especially with anxiety, you'll break down some of those cycles, like, you know, anticipatory anxiety. I have a lot of that, like, oh, no, what if this, then, then that, you know, and I go through the process and none of those things that I was worried about even happened. You know, so you won't even get, and so then going through that process, then lets me go, okay, so maybe the next time this happens, I don't have any, what evidence do I have to have these thoughts and feelings because of the experience that I had last time did not show the outcome that I was expecting. So going through those challenges and working through those things are opportunities for you to grow yourself and defeat some of those thoughts and and patterns that you have that are a barrier for you and your happiness. Can we thank our panel this morning? And they're, they're not even going to bill you, all right? You're not going to get anything this week, a bill from these. Are we not blessed as a church to have so many? And there's more than we could fit on the stage, but so many that are not just um, here, but willing to share. They want to help. They, that's why I wanted them to share some hope. They see people getting better, so that should encourage us collectively as a church. You know what I didn't say earlier when I was up here? Happy Mother's Day, all right? We have incredible mothers. If there's any other pastor watching our online service, our mothers are better than your mothers. I'll put relentless mothers up against anyone. And we also want to acknowledge, as we, as we always do, um, Mother's Day can also be a heavy day for some folks. I went to my nephew's graduation um, this weekend, my brother's kid, and it's just hard not to think about, man, my parents should be here, and they're not. You know, So this can be... So our hearts are with you if this is a heavy day for multiple reasons. Um, Also, kind of an ugly gear shift here, I need to uh, make you aware um, something important to our church. I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, one of our great mothers, Takesha Dockery Ragland, who uh, leads our kids' ministry, is stepping away from staff but not stepping away from Relentless. Uh, She'll be stepping away at the end of the month. Um, We would love for you to go on our website to our What's Happening page. We have posted a job opening and a job description for that position, and maybe that's something that God might be um, calling you to pray about. Just, just check that out if, you, if you're willing. Um, I'm up here to close out this series. So this was kind of the message this week to hear from these professionals. Um, but uh, it's been quite a journey, right? It's been, it's been heavy, right? So Raph's going to start a series next week, and I promise you it's going to be fun, right? <laughs> it's going to be something our church really needs. 
Um, this has been heavy. It's been therapeutic. Our, we have two goals for the series. One, that we would normalize the conversation, destigmatize. This is something we should and could and can talk about. And two, that it would be helpful, right? Um, that you would get some help to help your loved ones or help yourself. And that's what uh, I really took from, from hearing these guys. They all said different versions of, you got to take some steps, right? So the way, so this, I hope this doesn't feel contradictory. It's not. You know, we, we talked about um, so many verses, and God has something to say. We talked from Jesus' words. If he said, hey, don't worry about today, tomorrow will worry about itself, and birds of the air, and, and Philippians, uh, rejoice in the Lord, that relationship always, the Lord is near. And uh, my brother talking about the God of all comfort, and this Psalm 42 that I referenced earlier, put your hope in God. What does that look like? It looks like, for I will yet praise him no matter what, um, to praise him in the storm, the peace of God, all those things. So the word is, is helpful. So we're going to we're going to pray for you this morning. Um, and, and you heard you know, them say, we have to take some steps. You have to um, be willing to get help. So maybe your first step and some steps God is calling you to take is to be prayed over this morning. Right? And it's not, and maybe we've had people dealing for decades with things. What we're not saying is, hey, you've been struggling with this for 24 years. We're going to say a prayer and you're going to walk out of here and everything's okay. That's not what we're saying. It's a, it's a humbling process to be prayed for, but it may be your first step. And on top of that, if God, who does free the captives, as was said, if he would like to free somebody in this room from something, is he not able to do that? Right. right? He is able to do that. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Knowing all of us have sickness on some level, physical, spiritual, mental, right? So... I've asked some very special people to come up front, and they have uh, agreed and prepared and prayed to pray over you. Now, here's what this is not. This is not only for mental health issues, right? Um, first service, man, God moved in this room. We had, uh, I don't know what all was going on because I was just at one part of this. We had people uh, ask for prayer for their marriage, which I thought was beautiful. We had people ask for prayer about upcoming surgery. Um, that was a hip surgery. We had people that just were diagnosed with cancer this week that came forward for prayer. So this is much bigger than just what the anxious series is. Um, if, you would, if you would want your marriage prayed for, that's powerful. There's humility in that, right? So here's how it's, here's how it's gonna work. There's, a, there's these cards that are on every row. There's, some, there's one near you. If there's not, there's some over on the table. And we'd love for you to just put your name and information and what you're praying for. You just hand this to the person. You just kind of, Pick, the, pick your favorite person up here. Um, and, and they would love to pray over you. Um, if you don't want to fill out a card, some of you, like some of the stuff on the screen was addiction related. Um, sometimes, sometimes people don't want to write porn on a piece of paper or alcohol addiction or whatever. Um, you don't have to write it. You can say it or you can just say, you can go up to Raph and say, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it, either Raph. Um, you can, double rafts here. Uh, you could just say, I don't want to say it, just pray for me. And God knows what you're talking about, and there's such a humility in that. So here's what happened first service. I prayed like I'm about to, and then I said, go, let's just go, let's get moving and get prayed over. And it was real still and quiet until one dude started. And once he, the floodgates opened and we had a bunch more people moving, we got a bunch of people up here because we know a bunch of people in this room need prayer. Here's the crazy thing that I've learned in this series right? Uh, we know we have um, clinical help, and that's really important. But I've asked a bunch of people at Relentless Church who struggle with mental health issues, and I ask, has anybody ever prayed for you? Put, put their hands up.
laid on your shoulder and prayed for this issue that you've been struggling with with X months or years? Most people said no. That's part of the damage of the stigma is we're not even praying about this stuff. So some of you, for the first time in your life, you're going to have your issue prayed for today. And that matters, right? Jesus showed up in cities, and it says in some scripture, it says healed every sick person, mental, physical. He had a 100% success rate in certain, like everybody, like there's, imagine all of Raleigh and all the ailments, mental and physical. Jesus shows up and he leaves Raleigh. There's no six people left. He healed everybody. But then he went to his hometown and it says he couldn't do much there because they were like, we know him. He isn't anybody special. It was, a, there's two things that Jesus marveled at. And I want you to figure out what we are at Relentless Church. Two groups of people. One people, wow, like what wowed Jesus, the son of God. He was wowed at people's lack of faith. When he went to his hometown, they're like, you can't do anything. They were, they were amazed at his, he was amazed at their lack of faith, right? So if you're not going to come forward and be prayed for, we want you to be praying expectantly for God of the universe. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead is still alive, right? And if he defeated death, then he's not scared of anxiety, depression, marriage issues, addiction. He's not scared of that. He has power that he has given to his church. Jesus was amazed at people at their lack of faith. He's like, man, these people don't believe I can do anything. And then the other way he was amazed, he was amazed at people's faith. He was marveled at the people who lowered their friend through the roof to get them to Jesus, right? He want, we want to be a church where we drop Jesus' jaw. He's like, man, those relentless people, they think I can do anything, right? We, they think I can remove cancer. They think that I can remove it. Like he can, right? We trust his will. We pray in his will but there's nothing outside of his hand. His arm is not too short. So I'm asking you, humbly ask God, is it for your family? Is it for a loved one? Is it for marriage? Is it for a mental health issue? Would God want you to end this series on this Mother's Day by asking somebody to pray for you? If so, and I say amen, go ahead, somebody be first. Uh, if you wanna use the card, great. If you don't, you don't have to. Well, let's get moving, let's pray each other. We're gonna become a praying church, which is how we started this year. We better be praying over each other. There's power in this. This may be the day God's been waiting for to deliver you, right? Father, if you want to move, however you want to move, we don't want to limit you. We don't want to box you in. God, there's nothing that's outside of your reach. God, we know that there's power in the name of Jesus. We sing it. We believe it. God, may the faith in this room be really large today. Help us have big faith that you can handle anything. God, would you um, humble our hearts? If we need, if there's people in this service, they need to come forward and let somebody put a hand on them and pray for them. God, would you give them courage just to get out of their seats? And God, would you hear these prayers? Would you work in these prayers? May there be boys in our church where their life completely changed on May 14th, because of, not because of the power of prayer, but because your power that works through prayer and through these praying people up front. God, would you hear? prayers now and would you move and work like only you can we pray in jesus name amen all right let's go